The two guards left the barracks at ten past four on the afternoon of September the 20th. The barracks, a small white house, was set in a terrace of similar houses, the only distinguishing features being a small sunburst over the door, signifying Garda Shikona, and a tall white flagpole on the roof for use on ceremonial occasions, which were very few and far between. They cycled slowly along the village street with the sun behind them, and their shadows, black on the ground, always that unattainable length in front of them. Guard Devony was the taller of the two men and the older, and the least ambitious. For nearly twenty years he had lived in the village. His kids had been born and reared in the barracks, and were all gone now, bar one. His wife had evolved from a tender girl with soft, nun-like white skin into a woman of enormous proportions with a greying moustache fringing her upper lip. He knew everyone for miles around. He knew their weaknesses. He knew when to blink the eye. Guard Conroy was new to the job, new to the country, a Dublin man with high hopes of quick promotion back to the hard grey city streets again, where there was a bit of gas when you were off duty and the possibility of some real crime when you were on. The street curved sharply at the end of the village, and their shadows moved round to the left-hand side. "'I don't like it at all,' said Devony, more or less to himself. Three children, sitting on the edge of the pavement, watched them go by without interest. There was no one else about. All indoors, no doubt, with nothing better to do but yak about what didn't concern them. Guard Conroy grunted in reply. He didn't believe in committing himself. Back at the other end of the village, the level crossing gates clattered shut behind the Dublin train. Smoke hung over the fields for a while before melting. It's the sort of business goes sour on you. Heads fall. And I'll tell you one thing, it's never the superintendent's head, nor the inspector's neither. They rode on a while in silence. The tires of their regulation bikes crackled on the road. The law's the law, said the younger man, for something to say. And maybe, but trouble's trouble just the same. It was hot for September, an Indian summer. The chestnut leaves were turning, and the tops of the trees were gold against the clear turquoise sky. On the lower branches the leaves were still a tired green, and the chestnuts hung in pale clusters, almost ready for dropping. It was the best part of a mile to the gates of Kill House, and the two men were sweating by the time they arrived. They stopped outside the gates on the gravel sweep, and each took a handkerchief from some interior pocket and wiped his face and neck. Guard Devony even removed his cap and ran his handkerchief round the band inside before he put it back on his head. Well, here we go, so. It was late May. The few remaining daffodils that fringed the avenue were turning brown and papery. The leaves were curling at the top. The early rose bushes in Clare's formal beds were covered in buds, which would begin to open with another couple of days' sun. Since Nellie's death almost six months before, 
Mr. Prendergast had taken to living more or less completely in the study. Books on the tables, where his father used to display his adequate collection of dueling pistols, on some chairs even, and also in piles on the faded Chinese carpet. The piano sat in the middle of the room, and in one corner there was a divan that he and Sean had carried from upstairs, in case of some unmentionable need. The two long windows faced southwest across the terrace at the wooded hills, and behind them the gaunt blue mountains constantly changed from one elusive colour to another.